The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Where do you come down on deficit spending during an economic downturn? Thank you. I take the theory that's held by most economists, that deficit spending is acceptable as long as it focuses on public investments like infrastructure, defense, education, research. Wow. Where did that answer come from? Semester of Economic Theory at NYU. Where did that question come from? Trying out conversation starters. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, May 12, 2022. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Can't say that deficit spending is the greatest of conversation starters, but I can say that deficit spending, as an economic theory, is a totally different animal from deficit spending as a political theory of government financing. At a time when government deficits and debt and inflation are at all-time highs, it's remarkable how all of the mainstream politicians, and a few of the new ones as well, just keep coming up with a myriad of ways to spend taxpayers' money on things the average taxpayer could not care less about. And it's terrifying how so many of these disaster spending plans have something to do with the whole COVID agenda to force every man, woman, and child to take an injection. You know, just because. There's a lot of election talk in the air, both in Canada and the United States, and of course, for those of us who actually care about individual freedom and the benefits that arise from living in a free society, there are oh so few options. It's really a bit depressing. Parties that are awakening to the necessity of putting freedom first are but in their infancy, and the established parties have long since lost their relevancy to the average voter, who nevertheless finds himself confronted with an election every few years. Here in my Canadian province of Ontario, we're in the middle of a very undemocratic provincial election, according to what we heard on the show last week from former MPP Randy Hillier, while on the federal front, Trudeau's recent election call resulting in his minority government, along with a supposed deal he made with Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the socialist communist New Democratic Party, made the likelihood of the next federal election a long way off. So, during the current break in the Canadian federal election cycle, the People's Party of Canada, under the leadership of Maxime Bernier, continues to campaign as if the federal election were already in full swing. As it happened, Maxime was recently in New Brunswick, where Robert Vaughn now resides, and Max actually dropped by at Robert's home to record an interview posted to our video platforms last week, and from which... Certain highlights are being featured on the show today. And for my part, I'll be addressing some of those perpetual myths about politics and elections that still prevail amongst the majority, to the detriment of individual freedom always. It all gets underway right after our invitation to you to write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archive broadcasts. 
As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. So Maxime Bernier is now traveling the Maritimes by car. And uh, I'm grateful that he's able to stop by and uh, have this chat. Welcome, Maxime. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be with you and to have that opportunity. Can you tell me, first of all, just just vent. <laughs> You're driving. <laughs> You're the head of a national party that garnered almost a million votes, 6% of the popular uh, vote, and yet you're relegated to driving from province to province. You can't even go to the island of Newfoundland. Absolutely. Um, and luckily, PEI has a, a bridge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't get on a boat there. Yeah. Your thoughts on, on the restrictions? It is a nonsense, uh, as you may know, and a lot of people know right now that it, all that is not based on science. Uh, it's a pure uh, punishment for people that didn't vote for Justin Trudeau. I believe that we are maybe 15 to 20 percent of the population in Canada that decided not to have the two shots. And um, I believe that Justin Trudeau did a lot of polling and survey, and he knows that uh, we won't vote for him. So punishing us because we decided not to have an experimental medicine in our body, uh, it's, uh, it's not a way a leader must act. You must be the prime minister for all Canadians. And that's not the case. That's pure discrimination and segregation. And uh, I was very upset to see in the budget, in the last budget, that uh, Justin Trudeau gave $37 million to Transport Canada to be sure that Transport Canada will enforce that, uh, that restriction for unvaccinated Canadians for us, uh, we are not able to travel, as you know, by plane, by train, or by boat inside our own country. And Trudeau wants to be sure that um, Transport Canada will enforce that. So he gave $37 million for three years. So I believe that for Trudeau, that restriction will be there for three years. But, but we can have a, a good news because myself, and former Premier Brian Petford from uh, Newfoundland, we are suing the federal government, the Trudeau's government, because it is our constitutional right to be able to travel freely across our country. And in Canada, right now, Canada is the only country on the planet that does not allow their citizens that decided not to take the two shots to travel by plane, by train, or by boat. It's a huge discrimination. You don't see that anywhere in the world. So, and we will have our first hearing the first week of September. And if we have a good, ju good judge, I believe that we must win that because it's written in the Constitution that every Canadian has a right the right to, to travel across the country freely, to move across the country freely. And, um, and if we don't win, we will appeal that up to the Supreme Court of Canada. And just for give you an example, you said, you know, as a leader of a national party, 
I'm the only one that cannot travel across the country uh, by plane and I'm living in Montreal and so we decided to do a trip here in Atlantic Canada except Newfoundland because I cannot go there um, and it would be a three, three weeks uh, uh, trip, road trip uh, but you know it would be very difficult for me to go to Western Canada, to BC, to Alberta and that's my role as a leader of a national political party, to be on the ground, to meet our people, to build our organization all across the country. And that's what we are doing here in Atlantic Canada. The goal is to be with our people, building the riding associations, and uh, finding our candidates to be ready for the next election. So it's a huge discrimination, you know, it's unfair for me. All these uh, establishment uh, uh, politicians, leaders, they can travel, they can uh, buy plane, and, and for me, I cannot because I decided freely not to take it, uh, not to take the, the two shots. Um, so, so that's a big battle, and I hope that we'll be able to be successful, but I'm not alone. And if we win that case, uh, that won't be on, not only for me and, and Brian Petford, uh, it will apply for everybody. So maybe uh, we won't have to wait three years to regain our, our, our freedoms in this country if we win that case in September. I believe that we'll have a decision maybe uh, early uh, January 2023, uh, I hope. We'll see. I hope so too, yeah. for my sake as well as everybody else's. <laughs> because if one person's rights are violated, everybody's Absolutely. rights are violated. I noticed that in the conversation you had with Premier Peckford, he started off by saying that he really enjoyed the fact that you said uh, something to the effect of it's not necessarily the Constitution or the Charter of Rights that's in question, it's the people who are interpreting it, the people who are applying the law. And I'm reminded of the fact, and people should know, that communist China has effectively a bill of rights, not too dissimilar from our own. Yeah. But you know that that is a tyrannical dictatorship that has that, that particular party has killed 60 million of its own people, the yeah. same party that's now in power. Yeah. So it's about the people. Uh, do you have much hope then that the people of this country from which the pool of lawyers come from, judges come from, politicians come from, the people. What is the mood of the people and are we um, inclined to agree with you that we have inalienable rights that somebody like a Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh should not violate? Yeah, I agree with you 100% and you're right by saying we have a great constitution, a charter of rights and um, so the challenge that we have, and it's, it's our politicians. Our politicians don't respect our constitution. So if we want changes in this country, if we want bolder reforms, we need to have, uh, uh, we need to say no to these establishment politicians and put people in place that will respect the fundamental law of the land, our constitution, our rights, and, and that's, that's the big battle. So that's why I'm saying to people when I'm doing rallies and 
I said, you know, we need to have an ideological revolution. People must understand that you may have the best document, but if you have the wrong people in power, in government, they won't respect your rights like they did the last two years here in Canada. So we need to have that reform. We need to have that revolution. And you don't need to have 50% of the population on your side to win that battle, that battle of ideas. Uh, you, you know, we, we are maybe a minority right now, but that's growing. So if we want changes, we need to <coughs> vote for what we believe. And, and uh, you know, if you don't vote for what you believe, don't expect to have the result that you wish. Uh, you may not have it. And so we at the People's Party, our job is to speak about our principles, our values, um, the, the values based on the Western civilization values and family values with our four principles that are the basic of this party, individual freedom, personal responsibility, respect and fairness. And we won't do any compromise with our principles. That's different from the establishment politicians. What they will do, they will tell you what you want to hear today, and maybe they will do the opposite when they'll be in government. Up next, this isn't the kind of conversation I would normally feature on the show because nothing really concrete is actually said. But I found it to be a fascinating representative conversation of so many I've heard of late, especially with regard to all the cynicism about politics, voting for new parties, and elections in general. A lot of frustration and disappointment being expressed here, and even though I don't particularly share it, I can understand it. See if you haven't heard this kind of sentiment around your neck of the woods lately. This is from Speaking Moistly on May 4th with Mark Perlovos and Greg Wycliffe. Usual is Greg, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good. How are you? <laughs> good, good. No, well, I mean, in the green room, we were already getting we were already getting deep on the topics. Well, you're saying that we need to be aggressive and and push um, for change. The end of the truckers' convoy is the beginning of the battle because now we've pushed into where the government's saying no. So now, now the real work begins. What'd you say? The, the tough get going? Or the... Yeah. Yeah. When, when the going gets tough, the tough go. get going. Mark, sometimes you're kind of despairing. You're despairing a little bit. You're like, you know, I need to go find land. I need to go hide in the woods. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And it, it's over. It's over. But I was going to say, we have a clash on the show yes. because yeah, you, guess... you are, you are always kind of despairing. You, before we turned the camera on, Mark was like, Oh, well, look, you know, we tried to protest at the trucker convoy and we got squashed. I, I don't know? think I said, did I say that? And Max Bernier uh, tried <laughs> to start his party and he, and he got like, you know, I didn't rinsed, think, no, I didn't think rinsed. he got squashed. I, he got, he's are you going to let, are you going to let me finish? Sorry, man. So you were talking about Max Bernier and how he got, got rinsed by the mainstream media. And mm -hmm. I keep trying to remind Mark and telling our audience that we don't know what winning looks like. Cause, and really, what is the opposite of not going to the trucker convoy and not doing that big protest or or not trying to start the PPC and not trying to ha have like an anti-globalist movement in Canada? And the answer is nothing. It's sitting on our hands and doing nothing. You know, if you are hoping to actually win and solve the problem uh, for the future of humanity, then it's the beginning of the battle. You know, getting crushed by the state police in Ottawa is the beginning of the battle. 
the Maxime Bernier getting called names in the media because he's actually making an impact. That's the beginning of the battle. And then once again, I feel like I talk about this all the time now. Case in point is Mr. Donald J. Uh, Trump south of the border. The very beginning of his campaign was getting called names, was getting called yeah. racist. Uh, yeah. That was the beginning of his campaign, which eventually led to his victory. And the reason we actually got into this topic initially is because I was talking about Derek Sloan with the Ontario party. He actually acquired uh, Roger Stone, who was a behind the scenes to help get Trump elected. And mm -hmm. I mean, I'm ex I'm looking at Sloan right now and what he's doing with his Ontario party campaign for the Ontario election. And I'm looking at them as as inspiring seeds that he's planting. Like, I think the seeds he's planting right now are actually very exciting and very promising because he's doing something that I've always wanted conservatives to do in this country, which is changing the moral frame, throwing out this liberal moral framework of are you racist? Are you transphobic? Um, do you care enough about climate change? And he's like, I don't care about any of that. And I care about, you know, the prosperity of our country, the prosperity of children, the safety of children. And, um, you know, calling out information about ph certain pharmaceutical products like, you know, he's changing the moral framework and, and changing I, the conversation. If Canadians will go there, I would be all over. And so, like, I was watching Ralphie May, you know, that Ralphie would you thing? would you That's go it. there? Yeah. But what, what I'm saying to you, why if, haven't you gone there? Hold on. Let me make let me make the point. OK, so. Okay. But a Canadian audience has a hard time with a with a different kind of approach. And, and I hope it works. Like, I hope people get shaken out of their complacency. And, and, and I think that something that con the conservative party gets terribly, horribly wrong, and even sometimes to the lesser extent, the PPC, is they think that maybe we can strategize by pandering to people who will never vote for us. Maybe we can try to, you know, cater to these people who are never vote to us. And it's true. There are a lot of Canadians who are going <gasps> to like inhale and, mm -hmm. you know, not, not get into the shock content. And let's face it, after, after the pandemic, after the past two years, their minds have been totally compromised by propaganda and fear porn. So like they're not even thinking straight anymore. And it's yeah. like, so, so trying to even speak to these people or convince these people of anything isn't the goal of Derek Sloan or people who are taking this approach at all. And, and I don't think it should be the, the approach that, that anyone opposing people, Trudeau should take. But because, those people are being weaponized against people who would take up the, the banner of Derek Sloan and, and other- yeah, No, but you need to look at the other numbers. You need to look at the numbers of how many people showed up at the trucker convoy, how many people are fed up with Justin Trudeau and how many people are you know, combined between the conservative party, the PPC and everybody else who maybe is apolitical. Like those are the people that you need to speak to the people who will actually vote for you and, yeah, and the yeah. people who are sick of the liberal moral framework, you know, like, like that, like it's about rallying those people together and really making it a force to be reckoned with. Cause think about it. Did, 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 did Donald J Trump ever pander to Democrats? Did he ever pander to like, you know, this kind of like leftist um, ideologies uh, On the contrary, only, he kind of he kind of openly mocked it most of the time. The, the left ideology, yeah, no, well, but I mean, yeah. you know, Trump walked right by Greta. That's pandering to the right. No, I'm just kidding. There, yeah, I, I, <laughs> it is. It is actually. It is totally. Um, and that, and and more importantly, that is pissing off the left. That's pissing off, like the 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 you know the liberal people. And, and I I think you're right. I think that there's it's going to take time in Canada. I think there's a lot of conservative minded people or people who identify as conservative or whatever 
who uh, will still be like, oh, I don't like Derek Sloan. I don't like this aggressive Trumpian politics in my country. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. But as things get more intense, because things are getting more intense, eventually people will snap and they'll go one way or the other. And they'll be like, you know what? This guy is actually making sense. And I actually see what's going on here. And, and you know, like enough is enough. I'm, ve- so, I'm very, I'm very kind of bored and tired and disappointed in, you know, conservative party members or even sometimes Max Bernier just talking about like, hey, the economy again, it's not moving the needle. It's not getting it's not introducing any more people into the fray. When I started my show, Faith Goldie was running for mayor. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. And I, I thought Faith Goldie was going to win. And. Uh, in a fair election, I think she gives John Tory a run for his money, and it, it didn't. It didn't work out, and she was trying to change the conversation. But they they smeared her, they destroyed her. her well, her, she she did go on a podcast, which is like that was a bad call on her. Yeah, part. yeah. Well, you no, know, I'll agree that it probably wasn't the best career move for Faith Goldie to go on that that podcast. But it doesn't make her a white supremacist by any stretch. I don't think. Absolutely. Right. And so when I, when I think about, when I think about somebody trying to change the framework, I think about, I think back to that. And I think that just how far we've come since then, right. Since, since that mayoral election and how those seeds didn't really plant to, well, the, the seeds that got planted during that mayoral campaign grew into what they did to Maxine Bernier. And then, right. Like the, the slander and the dragging people through the mud and the Antifa and all that other stuff. You're, you're, you're identifying every, and, and again, I remember I said earlier, we don't know what winning looks like. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And every instance where it's like someone gets crushed by the state establishment, whatever, whether it's Faith Goldie, whether it's Max Bernier, whether it's the trucker convoy, every single instance of that, it moved the needle and a lot more people got upset you know, say what you want about Faith Goldie, but it's like, you know, we have rules here where anyone should be is allowed to run based on certain parameters. Mm-hmm. And if you have a certain popularity, you should be invited to the debate. CBC should hold a debate, which they didn't. Yeah. And uh, and on top of that, the biggest one, I worked in radio at the time and they just rejected her ads. And it's yeah. like I got I learned in college and at and yeah, while working at a radio yeah. station is like that is against the rules. You should get your license taken away, Bell Media AM yeah. 1010 for that. This is, uh, you know, our democracy showing cracks and no one seems to care. That's what I mean. But dude, my point is, is like, I wouldn't be here if that wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have met. That's true. If, if Max Bernier wouldn't have done his thing. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't have met and connected with, with hundreds and hundreds more people at the trucker convoy if that didn't mm-hmm. happen. I am optimistic still, even though, even though it's like, it looks like dark times are ahead. I'm optimistic still because one of the first things that Canada needs to overcome is apathy. I, I know, but what you lump is in as political apathy is like some people who have tried to make change and then backed off because of the pushback or some people who have tried and failed. So they've checked well, out of the system. Well, the, ne- the next or, one, that's, de- that's demoralization. You know, like, like you said, we don't know what the winning condition is here and who knows when it'll happen. I, I, I just want everyday life for, for regular people to be livable, survivable and, and something that is like, you know, you can... If you work hard and, and all of that other stuff, you can have extra and all of that. Uh, you know, a nice, a nice, a nice backyard barbecue and have some friends over, right? That's right. Just leave leave people alone, man. 
So he does know what winning looks like. <laughs> oh well. Our conversation with PPC leader Maxime Bernier continues. Now, as, as important as the situation here is in Canada right now and the pandemic, um, I can't let this opportunity go by because you were Canada's Minister for Foreign Affairs. Yeah. You were the chairman of the Committee on National Defense. Yeah which oversees all aspects of the armed forces and national defense in this country. So I want your opinion, if you could, Maxime, on the current jingoistic nature, um, belligerent uh, rhetoric that's coming from Ottawa, from um, Brussels, from, from Washington, regarding the conflict in Ukraine. I, I can't believe it myself that nobody's asking for negotiations they're all gung-ho, and that phrase is totally appropriate if people want to look up yeah. gung-ho, about going to war with yeah. the nuclear Russia. I can't yeah. believe what's going on. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, that war is a humanitarian uh, disaster for both sides. Um, we must look at history before. And, you know, in the 1960s, uh, Kennedy was uh, the president of the United States. And we had the Soviet at that time that wanted to have uh, missiles uh, in Cuba. And Kennedy said, no way. I won't allow you to put your uh, Soviet base in Cuba at my doors. And, um, and that was a big conflict at that time. And they were able to solve that by negotiation. And, you know, in the end, uh, they didn't have, they didn't, the Soviet didn't put any missiles uh, on, in, in Cuba. And, and, and a little bit later, we had the Cold War. And as you know, we created NATO to protect North America. That was the goal of NATO. And we had an agreement with the Soviet at that time. When, I, when I'm saying we, the West, mm. We had an agreement and we said, you know, we won't do any expansion with NATO. NATO is there to protect North America. But we didn't, we didn't respect uh, what we told them at that time. And we had a lot of expansion of NATO in Europe, France, Germany, and other countries. And, and now, the last uh, maybe five years, we... Uh, push Ukraine and ask Ukraine, you know, you can ask to be part of NATO and we'll look at it. And so, and so Putin and Russia said, no, I don't want a NATO base at my doors, like Kennedy didn't want that. But we didn't listen to him. And Ukraine is not part of NATO right now, mm -hmm. but maybe in the near future, it will be a part of NATO. But that will be a disaster. And Putin was asking before engaging in a war against uh, Ukraine, yeah, one of his conditions was, I want to be sure, tell me that Ukraine won't be part of NATO and you won't put any NATO base in Ukraine. Mm. And we didn't want to have that discussion with him. And so, uh, you know, I don't agree with what uh, Putin did. Putin is a murderer, uh, a dictator, and I'm not pro-Putin, and I'm pro-peace and prosperity. 
So we must be able to have the discussion and we must be able to have a diplomatic solution. The risks are too high. We can have uh, another world, uh, world war. And, um, and, so, and here in Canada, we have a government that is, you know, pro-Ukraine and giving money to Ukrainians and equipment. We, first of all, we are broke. We don't have any money. We have huge deficit. We must help Canadians first. And, and we must promote peace and prosperity uh, instead of and, and trying to put these two uh, parties uh, at the same table and starting these negotiations. Uh, it's, it's too bad that now, you know, this conflict after uh, two months, more than two months, it's still, and it's still a huge conflict. And, you know, I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like what I'm seeing because, you know, you don't know what can happen with that escalation. And every day you have something new instead of having negotiation. So, but you cannot speak about that in Canada. You cannot have that position in Canada. Um, I'll give you an example. I did an interview with the Journal de Montréal, a French interview, in the beginning of that war. And because of that position, they tried to put me in a corner and saying the PPC and Bernier is pro-Putin. And I did that interview for 20 minutes. And, um, and I answered all these questions and I, I told him what I'm telling you right now that I'm not pro-Putin. Uh, we need to know our history and we need to put everything in perspective. And so I believe that I did a very good interview because they didn't print it. They didn't print it because it was not in the narrative. Mm -hmm. They wanted to say Bernie is a crazy leader pro-Putin. But what I said during the interview was normal, logic, based on history. And he was not able to do a piece like that, so they decided not to publish it. So you cannot have another position than the narrative in Canada. It's very difficult. But we, the People's Party, we are telling the truth, and, and I believe that uh, we have a vision for this country, a smaller government in Ottawa that will respect people, respect our constitution, but also it's not our war. Don't interfere in, uh, in, in other uh, conflict. We're not, you know, uh, we cannot uh, be part of that. We have a small uh, Canadian forces and that's not our role. Our role of Canadian forces must be there to defend our country and part of NATO, but, uh, but not being part of that war. It's not our business. Yes, as a matter of fact, um We've often involved ourselves in conflicts, um, for example, in Africa, under the United Nations responsibility to protect, R2P, yeah. Yeah. where it's justified, apparently, for the United Nations to say that we should invade this country because of the humanitarian issues that are going on in that place, right? Yeah. The, the persecution or the murder of certain people. And there's an argument to be said for that. However, that argument seems to fall down when Putin is claiming to do the exact same thing yeah. for the Russians in the Donbass oblasts. I mean, yeah. these are ethnic Russians, just yeah. like in uh, Sevastopol or um, Crimea, yeah. um, who voted, uh, whether that's a legitimate vote or not, to join Russia, yeah. to be rejoin Russia. Yeah. 
And so what's sauce for the goose is doesn't seem to be sauce for the gander because Putin is saying, look, Ukraine, Zelensky is murdering yeah. the Azov Battalion, murdering ethnic Russians in the Donbass, and we're just going to make sure that they have autonomy. Yeah. Right? Now, I'm, again, like yourself, I am not defending Putin. Yeah. I'm just pointing out the hypocrisy yeah. where we can do something. Mind you, we're a freer society than yeah. Russia, but Russia cannot. Um, does that... Does that um, fit in with what you're t what you're saying as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, what is what was good for us in the 1960s, <coughs> and the Soviet being sure that they won't have a base in Cuba, and 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 the Soviet decided, okay, I think you're right. We won't put any Soviet base in Cuba at the uh, at the doors of the U.S. Now it's not uh, for for Putin. No, we don't follow that. He's asking for the same thing that Kennedy was asking, and we won't give him what he wants. Uh, I think it's a mistake there. We can start the negotiation by putting that on the table and say, okay, let's have a discussion about the role of NATO and the implication of all that. But, but we don't do that. It's, it's, it's insane. We're like the annoying little brother of the U.S. Before they can attack anyone, they have to tell the United Nations, right? So the United Nations is kind of like the mother. You know, the U.S. is like, Mom, we're going to war. And the U.N. is like, okay, but you have to take Canada with you. Council elections have been held up and down Great Britain and apart from anything else, I think we can agree that turnout was low. In some polling stations in Hull, for example, turnout was down at 12% apparently. In terms of numbers taking part, exercising their democratic right, it was a damp squib all over. As so often happens in these plebiscites, the day-to-day -day rule of the many has been decided by the relatively few who could even be bothered to vote. Among that minority are fervently committed activists, of course, those who see and know that power belongs to those who can be bothered. Most people are not activists, though. Most people have more than enough to do just keeping their heads above water. This depressing state of affairs is hardly surprising. In spite of the media's attempts to whip up excitement about the results, local council elections have been a lacklustre non-event. I think it's getting worse, however. I trotted along to my local polling station and made my marks on the paper. Took some effort though. Along with so many people, I'm sure, I looked at the list of names and parties and thought, what's the point? What difference will it make? I looked at the names and knew what the results would be even as I went through the motions of completing my vote. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And as you just heard, the political cynicism and frustration that we heard discussed earlier is not unique to Canada. Just to change gears for a moment, um, and going back to the Emergencies Act and its invocation by Trudeau government, uh, Trudeau Singh government. And I think we should say that from now on, the Trudeau Singh government, because yeah. they are in lockstep with each Absolutely, other. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that is the Senate. Now, you were part of the Harper government. Harper government of Conservative Party was created out of 
the Canadian Alliance, of which I ran as a member, yeah. uh, the Reform Party with Preston Manning, yeah. and part of that was the West wants in with a triple E Senate, yeah. equal elected and effective. Yeah. What we just saw, and a lot of people may not realize, but I hope they go online and look at some of the debate, it's about 15 hour debate in the Senate, yeah. when they were poised to defeat Trudeau's implementation of the Emergencies Act. The Prime Minister's office started to poll senators, and we have this from senators actually saying, yes, we got a call from the PMO. How are you voting? And when it was revealed that the vote was probably going to go to not um, implement the Emergencies Act or to revoke it in the Senate, Trudeau said, nip it in the bud, stop the debate, I'm going to revoke it myself. Here we have a Senate not elected, but appointed by elected officials, yeah. just as Supreme Court judges and yeah. justices are, just as uh, heads of departments are, and, yeah. and, and ministries and aid, not ministries or agencies. Yeah. Um, nothing stops them from doing their job. Yeah. We have, it is equal in, from regional point of view, 24 se- uh, senators from each region, yeah, yeah, six yeah. from Newfoundland, that kind of a thing. And it's effective in the Constitution. It has powers. Yeah. It has powers, but they don't use them. Your thoughts on a Triple E Senate and the one we have today? Yeah, uh, first of all, it, it would be uh, very difficult to implement a Triple E Senate because of uh, Quebec, that I believe that Quebec will always say no. And with the, the Constitutional Act, you will need the approval of, of Quebec to change that Senate. So that being said, I understand that the Senate has a role. And, and I'm very happy with what they did because of the, these uh, senators, they decided, no, that emer- the, emergency acts, the Emergencies Act must not be enforced. And they did great for the country and they did great for our freedoms and our rights. So um, I believe that you must, you must uh, reforming the Senate will be very difficult. So. As a leader of a national political party, I believe that we have other bold reforms that we must do before that. And I don't want to reopen the Constitution. I want the federal government to respect the Constitution first, respect our rights. And yes, uh, if I'm prime minister or when I'll be prime minister, we will uh, use uh, the power of the prime minister to put in place good senators that understand their role. And yes, they must be there to fact check what the House of Commons is doing. And, um, and they did their job with the Emergencies Act. Uh, and we, we must thank them for that. Uh, so, so answering your question, we, are, we don't have in our platform a Senate reform, but we will have in our platform an electoral reform. I believe that, you know, like I said, with 5% of the vote and 850,000 people that voted for us, um, if, we, uh, if we had a proportional system, I believe that uh, we would have uh, maybe 15 to 20 candidates, uh, people's party candidates in the House. So I think we need to have a kind of a mixed system. Uh, I like our tradition. I like our parliamentary system, uh, but we can add something, a portion of uh, proportionality. Um, we are looking at it right now. I think that will be a good system, uh, that will be fair for everybody. 
but and we don't need to change the constitution for that. So that can be a way for our democracy to be more uh, efficient. Or like now, you can be a prime minister without having the majority of the vote. Yes, Trudeau got 20.5% of the, the Trudeau Liberals got 20.5% of eligible voters. Yeah. And the only people who ever saw Justin Trudeau on the ballot was the people in Papineau, Montreal. <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah. again, like you, I don't necessarily uh, object to our parliamentary democracy. Yeah. Um, it's worked well in, the, uh, in Britain for yeah. a thousand years, so yeah. uh, I'm not opposed to it. Like you and Brian Peckford said, it's the people. Yeah. It's not the institutions per se, yeah. though they could use some tweaking. Yeah. It's always about the people and never about the institutions or even constitutions, as essential as they may be. I'm totally on side with Maxime's take on a triple E Senate. <laughs> I recall back about two or three decades ago when there was an entirely different meaning given by some activists to the idea of a triple E Senate. Eliminate, eliminate, eliminate. <laughs> and that was an attempt by some members of the right wing to democratize, quote-unquote, the federal government, an objective not unlike that cited for Bernier's support of proportional representation. But I have to say that this potential platform policy of PR, proportional representation, is the first PPC policy with which I would disagree, even though it wouldn't affect my support for the party. It's certainly an issue worth looking at, and it was a process that those of us in Freedom Party went through many years ago, when even to our own surprise, we concluded that PR is a trap that can never lead a government in the right direction, and by that I mean towards freedom and not away from it. Now please note that I offer this warning against PR, speaking also as president of Freedom Party, an officially registered party in Ontario, and as someone who recognizes and acknowledges that PR would indeed present a benefit to the party as an institution or organization. But the probability of achieving individual freedom through this process drops precipitously, since in a sea of competing participants all on a relative equal playing field with no one having a majority, no one of them would ever be able to govern in accordance with their own principles or objectives. PR gives undue electoral and state power to political parties because the proportion percentage is all based on a particular candidate's affiliation with a political party, which is nothing more than an endorsement from that party. PR applied to independent candidates, each of whom could represent an entirely unrelated platform to one another, would be a contradiction in terms. So where do they come out of this PR deal? Political parties are private associations formed to endorse those candidates who share a common value, issue, platform, religion, or whatever it is that that particular association advocates. Except for being quote-unquote officially registered, they're no different than any lobby or special interest groups, and creating some kind of PR, say for taxpayer or union groups, would be no different than doing so for political parties. It's an abstraction impossible to concretize in meaningful terms. When Randy Hillier was kicked out of Ontario's Progressive Conservative Party, he didn't lose his seat in Parliament. He lost the endorsement of the party. Now suppose there were no political parties, and only independent candidates were running. Because that's actually the technical reality of how parliaments work. 
In each riding election, there may be any number of candidates from two to any number greater than that. Only one will receive the greatest number of votes as compared to all the others, whether that be only one opponent or ten. Now, in every riding where there is more than one candidate, it is always possible, and is the case more often than not, that the losing candidates, when having all of their vote totals combined, may have received more votes than the winning candidate alone. Now, some people think this is unfair and even undemocratic, since a quote-unquote majority of voters in a particular riding did not vote for the winning candidate. But this mathematical vote ratio in no way justifies treating all of the losing candidates as a single interest or group. And certainly, if someone's an independent that is free from a political party candidate, that should be self-evident. And if you counted the potential voters who chose not to vote at all, you'd have the largest constituency of everyone, particularly if the vote turnout was as low as the 12% reported from Britain. So what about them? Moreover, under PR, all of the mainstream parties, who also have losing candidates, will be able to add their losing candidates to some kind of PR mix, thus overwhelming and overpowering any seats that might be awarded to the smaller parties. The fact that a particular MP or MPP has the endorsement of a political party, or even of some think tank or lobby group for that matter, is no justification for adding members to Parliament based on the fact that they lost an election bid. Political representation is based on jurisdiction, not on ideologies, race, creeds, ethnicities. That was the secret discovered by Rome. Representation attaches to the base, as Isabel Patterson used to say it. PR serves only one class of people, those who run political parties. Everyone else is a loser, including the good cause that any of those political parties might actually have started out to represent. As Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever rightly observed, under PR, no party is able to govern morally or on principle. Every proposal would be watered down or rejected by other parties. Not candidates, remember, even though they're represented by candidates, but other parties with opposing agendas. Never-ending compromises or deals with the devil. And in any compromise between good and evil, evil always wins, warned Ayn Rand. Bottom line, PR is mob rule, not democracy. Now, another political myth is what I would call the wasted vote fallacy. And that fallacy is, and the wasted vote fallacy is ultimately based on the belief that a vote for a losing candidate is a wasted vote, and that voting itself is based on casting your vote for a candidate who has the highest probability of others doing the same. That is, casting a vote for him. The only solution to the dilemma is to always vote for the winning candidate, <laughs> no matter how much you might despise everything he represents because, hey, then at least your vote counted, right? Even that entails some risk, since you can never really be assured in advance which candidate will win. Unless, of course, it's the American Democratic Party. <laughs> no one wasted their vote just because their candidate did not win. The number of losing candidates is always much greater than the number of winning candidates. That's obvious. And based on that stat alone, maybe we should have some kind of system, you know, for the majority of losing candidates? <laughs> Present them, you know, represent them through some sort of PR? This whole idea is so convoluted that I haven't even gotten started yet, but I'll have to reserve that analysis for a future broadcast. And remember, the lesser of evils is still evil. In the absence of any good choice, 
This is sadly sometimes your only option other than declining your ballot or not voting. But when there is a good option tossed into the arena, and by that I mean good in the mind of a given voter, a moral dilemma presents itself, particularly if that good option is not the popular one. Do you vote on principle and then, you know, waste your vote? Or do you vote out of fear and vote for what you yourself regard as evil, lesser though it may be? Think about it. Here's what David Freiheit of Viva Fry had to say about yet another dimension of the wasted vote fallacy, the fallacy of vote splitting. Uh, I want to bring one up, a chat that I just saw here. It had to do with an old talking point that I've discussed many a time. PPC vote splitting won Trudeau the last two elections. 15 ridings in Ontario alone. Don't complain about the current government if you're not willing to help change it. And by help change it, you mean forcing me to vote for a party that I don't believe in because you're telling me that's the only way to change things. Aaron Taylor, I respect your opinion. I'm not trying to make fun of you. And there's no but. This is, I, do, I do not accept this argument. This argument is tantamount to saying, vote for a party you don't believe in because that's the only way you're going to make change. Hmm. And by the way, Trudeau did not win the last two elections. He has a minority government. And to say that Trudeau won the last two elections, I mean, you, people should be using that argument for the NDP to say, if you had voted for Trudeau, you'd have a majority government. I'm not voting for a bad choice because someone else tells me it's strategically advantageous to do it. That's called playing bad chess. That's, and, and by the way, it's a question of fundamental belief. You're telling me this argument is vote for a party you think are hypocrite liars, but maybe less so than the other hypocrite liars, because it's the only way you're going to get the hypocrite liars out of power. I'm sorry, that just seems like a way to get other hypocrite liars into power. And, and you know what? If the, if the conservative party has to suffer through another election, another, what's the word I'm looking for? Mandate. It's not even a mandate. It's a minority government of minority governments. They have to learn a lesson too. They're not, they're not going to learn a lesson by being crappy and thinking they're going to get my vote because they're less crappy than someone else. Pshaw, harumph. Harumph is what I say. I'm saying this respectfully, lovingly with humor. I disagree with that stance. John Charest. Do you think that John like the Jean Charest is going to be a, a strong second place? Do you think he's going to win? It would it would so it would it would throw the conservatives into disarray if Charest won. And and then who wins? Jegbeat and Justin. <laughs> Cuz I mean like who else? Right? Like is is okay, Ber, is Bernier going to form government? I'd love it. I'd love it. I'd love it. Do it. Um but it would throw it would throw the conservatives into complete disarray. So if that happens, the Faction, the, the group that supports Mr. Polyev becomes the Blue Tories and the, the group that supports Sheree, like the four or five of them, will take the money and keep the CPC name, but they won't have any support of anybody and the party will die. And then within a couple of years, probably PPC eats the Blue Tories and that's that. <laughs> and you have a conservative party again um, that's seen as, as legitimate, I suppose. But I mean, not to say PPC is not legitimate. I'm just saying that in this climate, <laughs> Dominion, I'm not seeing it. I'd love to be wrong. I would love to be wrong. I would. I would love to be wrong. I would love for Bernier to have, I, th I thought he was going to on track for five seats last time. I really, I really did. I really did. There was a lot of momentum. He had great candidates. Viva Fry, super exposure, right? Like Viva Fry is way better than me, right? Like, so um, massive audience, et cetera, et cetera. So, and he gets out there with the, the live streaming and stuff, right? I'm, 
I'm just doing my thing here. Um, but it didn't result. So like, I'd love to be wrong and I'd love to have uh, Bernier form government and fix the inherent problems with the what communist takeover of Canada that we're living through this communist nightmare that we're living through. Um, but, but I just don't see it, but I'd love to be wrong. So <laughs> if Jean Charest wins, that destroys the conservative party in one, in, in one quick and easy, easy swoop. But then you have a problem because with the destroyed conservative party, the other parties become much more viable. The other day was um, international, what, what was it called? Journalism Day, Free Press Day, something like that. Yeah. And Trudeau, of course, gets out there and, you know, bills himself as a champion of free press because we need you to tell the truth and stop misinformation. My bugaboo, and I did a, a video with this with our good friend Salim Mansur yeah. when it came out, giving, uh, I think it was $260 million to favored press approved by a liberal committee or a government committee yeah. <laughs> made up of yeah. liberals um, to get this money. They are paid by the state. They are no longer journalists, in my opinion. They are propagandists. They are spokesmen for the government. Yeah. Your thoughts? Now, I understand yeah. Yeah. that as a politician, you have to, try, you know, not show yourself to be opposed to certain members of the media if you want to garner their attention. No, no. First of all, <laughs> Yes, I'm opposed to the CBC, uh, you know, the federal government is giving $1.3 billion to the CBC and, and we are broke. So we must end that, defund, not the police, defund the CBC. Uh, we'll save money, that will help us to balance the budget. But you're right by saying that Justin Trudeau <coughs> put a... Uh, a fund of money, um, I think it was $500 million or a little bit more, I don't remember the amount, to uh, the legacy media, the mainstream media, CTV, Global, uh, the Global Mail, and, and we want the government to be, we want the media, sorry, to be independent, not dependent on the government. They are dependent right now, and you're right, when you receive money from the government, you're not objective anymore. And during that pandemic, we saw it. We saw it. The propaganda was everywhere, in every newspaper, every radio station. And add to that the advertising budget from the federal government. In Quebec, for example, the Quebec government, because a radio station in Quebec that is independent, decided to have a position that is the opposite of the Quebec one on COVID-19 and the COVID hysteria. And they were, you know, very uh, arguing against what the government was doing, against all these mandates. And the Quebec government said, okay, all our ad, you, we won't put any ad uh, at your radio station. And that's a lot of money. So, the radio station said, okay, I'm okay with that. I'll do my job. Uh, my job is to, I have a vision of this country and I don't believe with mandates and mandatory uh, vaccine passport and all that. But after six months, the, the radio station changed a little bit, more pro-government, and hopes they received the funding from the government by a big ad, uh, a big ad budget. So that's a real influence. So the government must not give any money 
to these media. They must be independent. And if they're good, they will be able to raise money from their viewers, uh, like, uh, like the independent, uh, alternative independent uh, media that we have in this country. So, so it's, um, it's uh, the media where, during the pandemic, the propaganda arms of the government, you're absolutely right about it. And for us, we want to cut all, cut all these funding to the media. And yes, if the CBC is going bankrupt, you know, that's it. That's, that's, uh, uh, that, will be, that will be it. If they want to, be, uh, to, to stay alive, they will have to raise money from their viewers. And if the viewers does, <laughs> don't like what they're saying, they won't receive any money and they go bankrupt. That's uh, what is happening in a free society, a free market. And um, for, for what the Trudeau is doing right now is controlling the media. And that's why you had about 70% of the population uh, that 40% uh, of the population who agree with the government on COVID-19 because all these ads and propaganda and money and the federal government and provincial governments were controlling the media. So, so when that happened, we are not in a democracy anymore. No, no we've lost the fourth estate. Yeah, yeah, it's gone. It's, it's yeah. now part of the uh, the, the uh, government. Yeah, it is a yeah. propaganda arm. I would agree with you there. Yeah. But finally, Maxime, doing politics differently. Your book, you you published chapter five in your book about yeah. the dairy cartel. Yeah, yeah. And it got you in a little bit of a hot water with your uh, <laughs> with your your party. Yeah. And uh, at that Harper. time. Yeah. At that time. Now that that time has passed, can we look forward to the publishing of your book, doing <laughs> politics differently? At that time, I was running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada in 2019, and we developed a platform based on four principles, like I said before: individual freedom, personal responsibility, fairness, and respect. And, uh, and that platform was very popular. Uh, you know, I didn't win with 49% of the vote. Still, it's still the reality. The Conservative Party of Canada is intellectually and morally corrupt. They are not conservative anymore. They're just conservative in name. So we created the PPC based on that platform. So we'll put all our policies and ideas together. That won't be a formal book. But that will be the why, when I'm saying that we are doing politics differently, when people will read that, they're going to see that we are doing politics differently uh, without doing any survey and polling. You know? If it's not popular, what I'm saying right now, I won't change. Because I believe that we have the right ideas and the right policies for a freer and a more prosperous country. And the more I speak about it, openly with passion and conviction the more people will become will the more people will support us so i won't finish that book but i will put together all our policies that we have on our website well i'm looking forward to that thank you for dropping by maxime <laughs> it's been a pleasure thank you for that opportunity i'm very pleased and i hope that we'll have another opportunity to be together and have another discussion thank you thank you and with that said, thank you, one and all, for having joined our conversation today, and be sure to do the same thing again next week, when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white, under 
Every time I come back, though, I, I forget that I don't speak French. Yeah, you think I'd remember. You know, I know enough to get by. Like, I know we, oui, no, well, because I vote. <laughs> <laughs>